Good morning, everybody. Paul always does such a great job with announcements, right? Let's give him a hand. Let's give him a hand. I love it. Uh, wonderful to see everybody. Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill. If this is your first time with us, or if you don't have a Bible with you, or if you're fleeing technology and using hard copy of Bible, raise your hand. Our wonderful usher will get a Bible to you. Anybody need a Bible, just pop the hand up. He'll get it to you. Um, and again, welcome. Great to have everybody here this morning. Um, yesterday was a wonderful day. We had the men's ministry be men of God, bond servants, eternally minded men of God kickoff, and we had a beautiful turnout. Chef Leslie pro provided such an incredible breakfast. Um, here, here, men, right? That was a really hearty, good meal. We had shrimp and grits and all other good things. Ladies, don't be jealous. Uh, it was a very good time. Men, reminder, some of you were asking that form at the end. Um, if you didn't get to do that, you can do it and fill it out. If you weren't there yesterday, I forgive you. Uh, and please come check in with me afterwards or send an email, and I'll be sending an email out to all the men so that everybody knows the different offerings that are going to be going on for the church uh, and for the men particularly moving forward. And youth group, a little reminder that next week after service, we will have Yo Pop, so you can look forward to that. And a special announcement... Uh, Liam and Cindy, our lovely beloved couple uh, that's in this church, last night at 9.08 p.m., Ari Marie Ireland O'Neill welcomed and came to debut with mom and dad, so that's very exciting. Um, really, really beautiful news. Uh, eight pounds, nine ounces, 20 inches long, and precious beauty, so we're excited about that. All right, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord, and thank you, Father God, for the chance to come together with your people, Lord. Thank you for Calvary Chapel at Chapel Hill, Lord. Thank you for the people of this church, Lord. Thank you for the sweet fellowship that we're able to have with one another, Lord. And Father God, we just thank you now for the time to come into your word, Lord, to ponder what you have for us, Lord God, this morning, to grow, to know you more. And Father God, I just pray that you help us put aside all the different distractions, that we not be focused on what must be done later today, how we're feeling, any circumstance, nothing, Lord, but that we would just take this time to focus on you alone, your word, Lord, and what you have for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So last week, we finished the encounter with Nicodemus. And if you remember, the title of the last week's message was Condition, Consequence, Choice. And that tied into the charge that we had for last week. Remember, each week we get a little charge that we carry on, so we're digging in with the message. And that charge was to ponder the condition, consequence, and choices eternally for yourself, but then also in each moment as you're going through. Because if we think about that call to pray without ceasing, if we're thinking about the condition that we're in, the consequences that can come from the decisions that we're going to make and the choices that we have to make, we're then praying without ceasing. We're then putting that before the Lord. So the question to you before we dive in today is how did you do with that? How are you doing overall? Are you connecting with the word of God beyond the time here? Are you making sure to go back, to look at the notes that you take, to talk as a family about what you're learning in church, to revisit it throughout the week, to take where as you're listening, the Holy Spirit gives that nudge of conviction. Are you following up with him in prayer and saying, help me to be who you need me to be. Forgive me, refine me, help me to grow. Are we embracing the conviction that comes? 
you know how you're doing with that. Keep moving forward. And don't also go to the place, you know, I haven't ever gone back to the notes ever. Okay, we'll do it today. Start today. Don't let the enemy hit you with shame and guilt. Just start today and go back and, and dig in deeper. Now, today we're going to be in chapter 3 of John. We're going to continue, and we will be in verses 22 to 30 with a message I've entitled, Art Thou Humble? Art Thou Humble? Humility is a concept that, if we think about culture today, it's kind of lost, and it's not something we have room for, because it's very me, 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 and if we have so much me, 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 let me take a selfie of me, let me do this for me, there's really no room for humility. And in a culture where I get what I want now, and in a culture that teaches us that we are victims and oppressors, there's truly no room for humility. Because in areas where we may need it, we just can blame someone else. Now, you know I'm a fan of the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, so I'm going to read the definition of humility from there. In ethics, freedom from pride or arrogance, humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth. In theology, humility consists in low lines of mind, a deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God, self-abasement, penitence for sin, submission to the divine will, act of submission. That's a definition. And then we look at the Webster's today, free from pride or arrogance, the act, quality, or state of being humble. So it's interesting to see how far we've come because God's not placed in there at all. And that's kind of why I do love going back to that dictionary. But looking at the fact that if we polled most Christians today, I'd be willing to say they would say, yeah, I strive to be humble. Yeah, I want to exalt others above, above myself. I bet the number then would be small, lure, who would say, I seek to exalt Christ above everything else. Because it's not the nature that we're used to right now. And our culture is so against that nature. Yet, in the passage that we're going to be in today, we shall see Jesus continue the start of his ministry. He's going to journey to Judea. The Gospel of John reveals what goes on in Judea in his ministry. The other Gospels will give more of Galilee. And we're going to see an interaction here with John's disciples and religious leaders that leads to them getting information about Jesus' ministry. And as they get that information, competition and comparison creep in. Competition and comparison, two things that permeate our world. And those are two things, when they're not handled biblically, pride puffs up rather than yielding to Christ. John's followers, we're going to see, focus on get lost in the numbers. Get lost in how many people are with you. Yet John remained steadfast in getting lost in his calling and purpose from God. If we think about our culture today, they're saying, dude, you don't have as many likes as you used to. You don't have as many followers. And he's saying, I don't care. I don't care. Now, to stay on mission, to stay on the mission that God gives us, we all have a mission as bondservants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, it requires genuine humility. Now, on Wednesday with Psalms, I've talked before that we're seeing a consistent prayer life and worship life as we look at David, right? We're seeing he, he has a consistent flow of how he does. He takes his cares to the Lord. He states what's going on. He puts his request. He looks to the evidence and character of God, and then he is lifted up. 
because he's resting in who God is, not his feelings. Now, today, we're going to see another portrait of consistency from John. We're going to see how he handles questions and how he handles people seeking to shift his focus from fulfilling God's call and purpose and on making sure that God gets the glory alone. And I point that out to remind us as we go through Scripture, the people that we read about in Scripture look to the consistencies and the inconsistencies within their lives. And as we do that, we've got to pre-check ourselves. It's almost like a a pre-quiz. I used to hate when teachers did that in school, a pre-quiz. I don't know if they still do that. Um, Are you consistent, though? Your pre-quiz, I'm going to give you one, even though I don't like them. Are you consistent with how you pursue God? Ask yourself that. Are you consistent with how you pursue God? Are you consistent with how you reflect God? What does competition mean to you? And I'm not saying everybody wins a trophy culture. That's not what I'm saying. But what does competition mean to you? What does comparison mean to you? And as we read these verses, prayerfully ponder how John the Baptist responds to these questions and invite the Holy Spirit to bring conviction where it's needed on how you really answer those questions. So stand with me and let's read John 3. 22 to 30. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Enon near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I just pray, fill me, empower me to deliver what is needed for your people, that the words that come out of my mouth would be what are needed in this moment for each person in this place, Lord God. Please help that everyone would be open to receive what you have for them, Lord. Please push aside the distractions to focus on you alone, that we can hear from you clearly. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a seat. So in verse 22, we see, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. So after these things, we're going to see that continually as we go through the gospel. And it's, it's one of those phrases that reminds us Jesus just is always seeking to continue his calling. He's always seeking to do what the Father has him set to do, the purpose that he came. Then we see, there he remained with them and baptized. Jesus lingers in this area for a little bit, and we'll see his ministry work here. Now, the baptism that's taking place, this is not the baptism that we did this this summer. It's not the baptism of a believer that we're seeing. It's the symbol of repentance that John began with. And we saw that. We did a deep dive on that when we encountered it earlier in John. 
Christ is partaking in the same work of John the Baptist in this. Now, we find an important thing about that baptism. Jesus himself was not the one doing it. If we look at Matthew 4, 2, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. His disciples would be the ones doing it. He's present. He's there. His disciples are the one going forth and carrying this. In that, there's a little picture of humility of King Jesus. Because really, he could just do it all. He could have just said, you don't need to do this anymore. I'm here. I've arrived. Everyone come to me. No, he still follows with humility what needs to be done. Because remember, how does he come? In the form of a bondservant, Paul tells us in Philippians. That's how our Savior comes. And we know that after the temptation in the wilderness, that he was about that same work. In Matthew 4, verse 17, we see from that time, and we, it's right up there if you can't turn quickly, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's about that same work. It's the baptism of repentance, same as John. Now, the sight of these baptisms that Jesus would be doing, in that moment, it's unknown because it's not recorded. We don't get in Scripture exactly where it is. But we do know Jesus is joining in the work of pointing man to all that will come through him. He's joining in that work. Then verse 23, now John also was baptizing in Enon near Salim because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. Enon, that means the springs. There was lots of water there. John continuing his calling in such a place. What did he come to do? He came to prepare the way for the Lord. Malachi 3.1 tells us that. He came, he's doing his work. He's pointing people to Messiah coming. And the location, most agree it's probably about seven miles south of modern Bethshan. So there we know where that one is. The other one, we don't have the exact location. Verse 24, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. So here we find out he hasn't been thrown into prison. If you look and if you're a Bible scholar and if you're thinking about the harmony of the Gospels, how does it all line up? And you think of Matthew and Mark. I know every youth group person that worked through Mark was thinking this exact thing, right? Yes, that when we look at the baptism that John does of Jesus, what happens? The, he's, John is in prison right away after that. The gospel of John fills in that gap for us. And we see the season of the co-laboring of them both doing the same thing to prepare the way. And something else that's interesting when we think about this, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. As long as John's able, he's doing what God called him to do. He could have gotten lazy. He could have said, all right, well, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's here. Dope. I'm done. I did my job. The way has been prepared. You're here. Go. No, he keeps going and doing what God has called him to do until God says stop. That's a question we have to ask ourselves. What about you? Do you fulfill God's calling on your life every single day and take advantage of that fact he's given you another day to serve? Or do you get lost in trials? Do you get lost in the circumstances? Do you forget about God and cease the work? We can't do that. As John carries on as long as he's able to, so should we. Verse 25. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. So now the dispute comes in. Who's it between? John's disciples and the Jews. Some translations will say a Jew 
there's various there. We know that it's a religious leader at this point, someone from that that's coming. And think of what we learned when we looked at baptism earlier. They would have issue with John the Baptist. They did. That's why they came to question, because the baptism for them, that was for the Gentile that's coming to become a Jew. That's what it's supposed to do. Don't have us, the Jews, doing this. What are you doing? Why is this going on? And the details of the dispute, notice we don't get that. We don't get the blow-by-blow of, he said this, and this one said this, and this one said this. But we do realize that from the dispute going on, John's disciples learn something about Jesus' ministry and then decide, okay, we need to go make sure that we tell John about this. Because they would have learned Jesus is doing baptisms, and they would have learned a lot of people are going to him for these baptisms. They would have seen that too. Now, there's a few lessons for us when we look at the dispute. One thing is we have to remember human nature. At the end of the day, human nature likes to debate. We, we, we enjoy that. If there's something we feel, I'm so right about this, I have the right thing, I think it should be done this way, I think it should be done this way, my way's better, no, my way's better, we bicker. Disputes often stem from pride. Disputes often stem from something within you that you're not comfortable about. So you stand your ground, I'm not budging, I won't hear anything else because I know I'm right, but sometimes we've got to be cautious of that because there may be an opportunity where God's trying to have you learn something, actually. And I'm not talking about when we have debates on standing for the word of God. That's one separate thing. We stand on the truth. The truth is the truth. And there are healthy and normal debates, but we also need to be mindful of if the debate's coming from a my way or the highway. Now, if it's coming from God's way or the highway, fight the fight of the faith. But is it my way or the highway, check the pride in your heart. Verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now, what's interesting here, they say all. We know that's actually not true because we just read that John's there and he's baptizing, but it's an exaggeration because they want to prove this point. They're basically coming and saying, dude, The guy that you said is coming, he's doing better than you. Dude, you were number one, now you're number two. What's going on? This isn't good. And think of a heart, they just were in dispute. When we're in dispute, most of the time there's emotions around it. And that dispute either comes from out of our mouth or in our society today, we don't have the boldness to face face to face, so we just spew on social media or we write long emails or we do whatever to just push across whatever we want to say, but we don't want to actually do the face to face. And the heart isn't anchored in the things of God. Because I would challenge, if the heart's anchored in the things of God, it's with humility that one comes and says, Hey, can we talk about something? Can we have a conversation? It's with humility that that comes. So their hearts, we're gonna, there's going to be something going on in John the disciples that they're, we're having this debate. No, we can do this baptism. Jesus is doing this? Oh, my goodness. Now they found something else, so now they run over. They've got to tell John about this. What about you? If you end up in a worthless dispute, how do you handle that? If you're in that dispute and you find out something about somebody else, are you the person that then runs? Oh, my goodness, you won't believe what so and Susie just said about you. You got to hear this. 
Is that where you run to? Is that what we do? Because when you come with that, you won't believe, or you got to hear what so-and-so said, what's the goal behind that? What's the actual goal there? And that's something as a body of believers, we have to be mindful in the church that we don't have that. The goal is unity amongst his people. So why not address it yourself? Why not pray? Why not seek God's direction? Don't be like John's disciples here. This is not an example to follow because they're in a religious debate, but they make it personal. And that's where they come and they say, bro, you talked about him, but he's upstaging you now. There's a competition going on. John, you need to compare yourself to Jesus. John, you're losing your audience. Your church is dwindling. What are you going to do? You need to do something. We got to get a plan. We got to give out iPads or have better coffee or get a smoke machine or maybe we do a giveaway raffle, whatever we got to do. We need a marketing plan. No, that's not what he's going to get lost in, but it's something we have to be mindful that we don't get lost in. The competition and comparison don't go there. Our comparison is to the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that. Our comparison is let the mind of who be in you in Philippians? Christ. That's our comparison. That's who we're striving to be like. And just to be clear, since we're talking that, the pictures, we're doing them because we have to change our website platform, but we're not, there's no marketing plan here, just to be clear, folks. (laughs) Never happening. Um, Now, John answers, and in his answer, he's going to remind them It's about God. John's answer that we're going to see in these next few verses is truly a mindset we need to have if we want to live humbly, if we want to stay on mission humbly. Verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Blunt dudes, this ministry isn't mine. It's a gift from God. John says, guys, nothing we have, nothing that is a gift, none of that is given unless it's given from heaven. John isn't and knows he can't be more important than Jesus because he's just doing what God's appointed him to do. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And this is a passage we should remember when we're thinking about our position, our place. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The best gift we will ever receive is salvation. That is the best gift. And then with that, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is the best gift and then our calls to walk in his plan, which he guides us through the word of that, to grow, to be the best disciples of God that we can be. And in this moment, John's pointing them to that same idea. Nothing good comes from anywhere else but from above. And his disciples in this moment, they're seeking to spark the fire of envy and jealousy. That's what competition and comparison does. But he says, God didn't give me the call to be greater than him. I'm just doing the mission that he gave me. He says, God decides what he does and what he gives. 
God gives you a position to lead. He decides the length. He decides who's going to be on your team. He decides all the details because John rests in his sovereignty. In humility, we rest in God's sovereignty. In humility, we are content with what we have and where we are. How are you doing with that? What's the state of your heart's contentedness this morning? Verse 28. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John knows and reminds who he is. And he says, I am not the Christ. I'm sent before him. What about you, saint? Do you know who you are? And do you remember who God is? Turn to Psalm 8. We looked at it a few weeks ago, but it's a friendly reminder. Psalm 8. For those moments where you might waver a little or you might not exactly remember that relationship with God of creation. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. God of creation. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. He ordains the strength. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? When we look to creation, when we look to the majesty of God of creation who did all, how could you care about me? How could you think about me? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. When you need a humility check, remember You're in relationship. You serve the God of creation. The God who has ordained everything on this earth. And in that, we should then say, I'm here to do what you tell me to do. And it's not about getting bent towards jealousy. Throughout scripture, we see that bend happen. In Numbers 11, we see it with Moses. Jesus, we see when Peter, Peter's an action one, but he comes in and sometimes tries to get the the jealousy card there. Paul has them bringing the jealousy card. Man's nature and desires is to be concerned that someone's doing better. Someone's excelling above. But John's identity isn't in what others are doing. His identity is in the fact, I am not the Christ. Where is your focus? What is your identity? Do you recall when we studied the, the text and the first time in John where he said, I am not the Christ, we talked about our identity being a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not the Christ. I'm his bondservant. But in that, we have to build a muscle of saying, eyes off me. And in your life, are you building that muscle? Is it about you or is it about him? Do you bend towards jealousy? We can't do that. We can't go there. John from Luke 1.44, from the womb when he leaps, we know he knows what his purpose is. And for us, Psalm 139 gives us such a beautiful reminder, for us even. Turn there, I'll turn there. 
Psalm 139, verse 13, I believe is where that hits. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. For you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So the same way from the get-go, John had a purpose. We do too. When somebody brings that comparison to spark that jealousy, they're shocked. Can you believe that's happening? You're not, you're not at the status that you were. God's not surprised. Why are you surprised? He has written all the pages. From Malachi 3.1, we know he sends the messenger will be coming to prepare the way. That's John the Baptist. So John first says, God decides how it goes. Then he says, God decides the timing in verse 27. God called me to prepare the way. When my time is up, Jesus is here. The focus is on him. That's fine. John then says, you guys, you've been with me. You've been following. You know my witness. I'm not the Christ. I'm pointing to him. There's a consistency in his character. There's a consistency in how he handles this. Then he goes a step further, and he gives them a cultural portrait that they would understand. Verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. So in this first, he's pointing right away to the deity of Christ. And remember, there is disciples. He would have said this a bunch, but repetitions needed. That's why we're in the word of God. That's why we study the Old Testament and the New Testament. You got to keep going back. There's more to glean each and every single time. Now, they would know culturally the Old Testament, God himself refers to himself as the groom of Israel. And now he's calling Jesus God. And then he says, not only that, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. Now, this phrase, friend of a bridegroom, would be meaning to them because the wedding portrait, it's beautiful. If you do a deep dive on the wedding portrait and what it means, the Jewish wedding, to the portrait of Christ with us, the church. Truly beautiful. Now, when we look at this, the friend of the bridegroom would basically be like the best man. But we can't take it in our sense of what we, we mean when we hear best man, because this is like Superman best man. This is like best man on steroids, because this, is, this would be the go-between for the bride and the groom. This would be the individual who plans the ceremony, who oversees the feast, who guards the bridal chamber, and joyfully opens the door for the bridegroom to go into his bride. And in that, you see that he says, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. This friend of the bridegroom would not seek to outshine the groom. John hasn't come to outshine King Jesus. He's come to be a bridge to Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom rejoices in the bridegroom's success and blessing. What about you? What's your heart when someone gets a blessing or something happens, but it's what you wanted, but they get it? What's your heart there? What's your heart when someone excels above you? When someone's doing better than you, what's your heart there? 
we have to be mindful of jealousy within the bride of Christ. And we have to remember, as John did, have joy in doing whatever God has you doing. Our culture right now is so lost in the idea of finding your purpose, find your best life. What's your calling? What's my purpose? I gotta find my calling. I gotta find my purpose. I gotta find my calling. What's going on? Question, what season of life are you in right now? That's your calling. Where God has you. If he has you as a dad working a job and you, you're, these are your set hours, this is when you get home, this is when you can do that, that's what you're doing. Because we have to not get lost in how society always has us looking for the next thing without actually doing the thing in front of us humbly and joyfully unto the glory of God. And you'll be shocked when you do what he's actually told you to do humbly, joyfully for the glory of God then he may then say, now let's do the next thing. But don't be lost looking for the next thing. Again, check your heart. Do you have contentedness with what's before you? Jenny has more money than we do. Good for Jenny. Are you content with what you have? Are you using what you have to bring glory to the Lord? John is focused in the joy of helping, not about being Jesus. That's not his goal. He's just joyful in helping, in doing what God has called him to do. Saint, is your heart joyful in doing what God gives you the chance to do? Or do you get lost and stuck on my way or no way? Or do you get lost and stuck, how can I gain more ranking? How can I get more status? How do I compare to this person? How do I compare to that person? Is service enough for you or do you need title and followers? And saints in our culture, I really encourage everyone that's here and anybody that listens to this, check yourself in your relationship with social media. Because all social media says is, I am God. It's a structure to give us a God complex. We have our profile, we make it look the way we wanna look, we present ourselves the way that we want, we need to see how many followers we get. My, my followers, who's retweeting, who's not retweeting, they unfollowed me, why did they unfollow me, what's going on? Check it. I'm not saying don't engage, but be mindful and check. Be a John the Baptist, point people to Christ, not yourself. He had a following and guess what he did? He surrendered it to remain in God's purpose. It wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. Then the last verse for this morning, he hits it all. Verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Art thou humble, friends? He must increase. I must decrease. Jesus has to go up in popularity. I have to go down in popularity. That's what he's saying there and how hard that is in our world of followers, likes, retweets because the click of man's thumbs determines our character and identity more than the word of God. That's where we've come culturally. And in this, John presents, it's not a choice. He doesn't say he should increase. I hope he increased. No, he must. That's a message to every leader, to every pastor, the church is God's. To be the under shepherd as a pastor is God's. It's his church. No pastor or leader should be the one that you're following. You follow Christ. 
You follow Jesus. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. If it's his church, guess what? When the time comes for the next person to lead, humbly step aside, let it happen. Saints, relish in the beauty of the transition that we have gone through as a church. Because I'm going to tell you something. You all know it well. Pastor David could have kept going probably for another like 30, 40 years if we're going to be real here. He could just keep going. He's the Energizer Bunny. But the reality is God brought a conviction of something for him, for me as well. And then guess what? We have to surrender to God's will. And there's lots of transitions that happen in churches, but unfortunately, sadly, too many times the pastor's like, yeah, I'm going to step aside, and then they step aside, and then they're over the shoulder. I wouldn't do that that way. You should really think about that. Why are you doing this like that? That's what you're going to do? That's a horrible idea. We're blessed, Christina and I. All we get is prayer, love, support, encouragement, and we have a mom and dad spiritually there for us. And we have to relish that. That's, yeah, let's give praise to God, because it's kind of great. But... In it, also, with he must increase, I must decrease. With that, we as a church body have to be mindful. Guess what, saints? Some things are going to look different at Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill. Because if it was supposed to stay exactly the same, the Lord would have kept the person that was doing it doing it. Some things might look different, and that might challenge you. But before you say my way and fight, pray and figure out, remember the anchor, his word, his spirit, his way. We need to just, the church started anchored on the word of God. That's where we're going to keep going. And for us, in a culture destroying the nuclear family, yeah, that's heavy on the heart for us to have strong families in this church, for us to have strong men, strong women, embrace God's design and run with his word for his glory. And in that also, when we think of he must increase, I must decrease, I don't know about you, but before I was saved, I was the king people pleaser. And guess what? You can't do it like that. Because it needs to be about God. And sometimes God's going to give you a conviction to do this thing and people aren't going to be pleased. But if you focus on what they think, you're actually focusing on pride of yourself. It's a hard lesson to realize, but it's a big one. It's got to be God first, period. Period. And guess what? When he says to me, Vince, time's up. It's time for the next guy. The foundation has been laid. I'll step aside. I share that because part of my heart in this transition, what's the foundation of humility in your family? How is passing on to the next generation, what does that look like in your family? How does empowering your children look like? Your grandchildren, what does it look like? And what about us? When we realize, as John has said here, it's all in his hands. It's all for him, and he keeps that perspective. When you recall who he is, the God of creation, and who we are, it puts us in submission. When we see he must increase, you must decrease, it keeps us humble. But the question is, do you really do that? How do those words truly strike you? Because reality check, how many of us in this room have ever wanted to feel seen or noticed? I'm going to raise my hand. And if you say, no, not me, you're lying. I'm sorry, I'm going to be blunt. You're <laughs> lying. Everybody has that moment where you want somebody to see something. You want somebody to recognize something. Guess what? That's the biggest battle of humility. Pride. The pride of life. That's what keeps us from staying anchored in that humble pie race. 
Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Think about what we saw last week, condition, consequence, choice. And that charge, really look at your condition, consequence, and choice in every aspect of your life. Because you'll pray without ceasing. It keeps you humble. When we look here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's the trio trifecta that comes to knock us down. And that's the trio, particularly the pride of life soloist in that is, hello, lights are out, is the one that will put you in darkness. But if you go to Christ, you'll be in light. But when we look at this, what we have to understand is there's two powerful phrases John gives us. I am not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. Can you get that in your head, saints? If you don't remember anything from today, please remember, I am not the Christ, he must increase, I must decrease. I am not the Christ, he must increase, I must decrease. Staple it on your forehead, put it on post-its everywhere, put it on your steering wheel, put it by the front door, put it everywhere so that we strive to be humble. And then when we think of church, I'm gonna share a secret. Church isn't a consumer option. Love y'all, but it's not a consumer option. God calls a person to shepherd the flock and they have to make the decisions for the body of the church, for God's glory. That's why I need your prayers. My wife needs your prayers because it's a spiritual battle. We need your prayers so that we stay steadfast to what God calls us. But you could have a reality. I don't want to go to prayer. I don't really like praying with people. Have you read Acts 2.42? We're called to pray. Get over it. Give it a go. It should just be quiet music. Let's have just pure quiet music. Have you read Psalm 150? Decisions will be anchored in the word, but it's his church for his glory. So search your heart, and before you say, I think about anything, what does God think? And it's not just about the church. Every single area of your life, what does God think? Because pride breeds stubbornness. Pride breeds me, me, me. Yet as John says, I am not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. When you aren't here before us, the real of your life, the real of your thoughts, does it radiate Jesus, 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 or you, you, you? What does it look like? Why are you on social media? Is it about your ego? Is it about growth for yourself? Or is it about glorifying Christ? Well, I'm on there because I want to stay in touch with family and I want to do that, fine, then just be mindful. How much time are you taking to get that picture ready to post? Because that's time that could maybe be used towards something else. Just being mindful, doing that inventory. How much of what I'm doing is about me? When people see you, do they see you more or do they see Jesus in you? What's your motive? What's your motivation? He must increase. I must decrease. Now, in this portion of John, we get a must trio. 
from where we've been so far. You must be born again. The Savior must be lifted up. And he must, the servant, decrease. We don't have a choice to exalt self. So there's those musts that we have. If you haven't been born again, if you haven't believed and received, if you haven't seen your depraved state and that you need a savior in Jesus Christ, let's talk about that. Now there's that must decrease. Are you decreasing? Are you truly a humble servant or is it all about you? So our charge for this week, saints, take stock of your motives this week. Where must you decrease? Take stock, why are you pursuing or doing what you're doing? Does it honor and glorify God? Art thou humble? Husbands, take stock. Where do I need to decrease and get out of the way and allow God to lead so that I can lead my family better? Where do I need to decrease and say, honey, I'm sorry? Wives, where do you need to decrease to allow God to let your husband be empowered to lead? to give him that chance. You're not called to be the spiritual leader of the household. Give him that chance. Well, he's brand new at this. Give him a chance. There may be some fumbles. It's okay. Pray about it. Give him a chance. And teens, kids in the room, talking to you, what are you doing with the gift of the adults God's put in your life? It could be mom. It could be dad. It could be a grandma. It could be an aunt. It could be an uncle. Whoever's there is that adult that God's given from heaven, stop challenging and say thank you. What are you doing to be humble there? Charge, where in your life are you increasing and God decreasing? Where are you increasing and God decreasing? Where has sin crept in? Are you focused on more hours at work so you can make more money for that bigger house that you don't really need? Where has it crept in? Are you chasing the perfect body, the perfect this, the perfect that? Chase Jesus. Chase the king. When you succeed, do people say, wow, look at Johnny go? Or do they say, wow, look at God's hand in Johnny's life using the gifts that he's given him for his glory? How does that happen? People know you aren't the Christ and you point to Jesus. How does that happen? You surrender to his sovereignty. And youth, it's the verse I love, Luke 9, 23. Deny self daily is our call. To do that decrease, we've got to build the muscle of denying ourselves. It's that old song, it's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me, as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your will. That's what it's about. That's how John is able to, when his disciples come to him, there's not an ounce of him that cares about that because he's just in full submission to Jesus and full humility to who the king is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance and the reminder of humility, Lord. Father God, I pray that each and every single one of us, myself included, Lord, can search our hearts for the areas we need to decrease more, Lord, that you increase. For it is truly about you, Lord, and that we would be like John the Baptist, pointing people to you, 
You call us to make disciples, to, to share the good news. And Lord, help us to be a body of believers who do that for your glory, Lord. Help us to be united in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, running the race for your glory. Help us to cling to your word, Lord, that we allow the power of your word to do its work within us. And Lord, we pray for the person who doesn't know you here, Lord, and our relatives who may not know you, Lord, that they would realize they must be born again or they will not see the kingdom of God. Lord, may this be the day of salvation for one, even if they would be bold enough to seek to talk after or talk to Pastor David, Pastor Jeff, anyone here, Lord, if they are ready to realize I have to surrender. And Lord, help each and every single one of us surrender to your way, Lord, because it's not about us. Help us to remain humble servants for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a beautiful afternoon. God bless.